Two top five teams fell on Tuesday, including another huge win in the SEC for South Carolina, and they may not be getting the respect that they deserve. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, folks? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, a daily national college hoop show, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Andy Patton, joined today by our regular guest, Leaf Tulin, also a contributor at the Locked On NBA Big Board. Today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by FanDuel. Uh, make every moment more right now. New customers who join today, you'll get $200 in bonus bets if you bet if your first bet of $5 or more wins. So visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Well, it was a super Tuesday indeed. We got plenty of coverage of all the excitement from Tuesday's slate of games. We're also going to close out the show previewing Wednesday's slate, which includes the two top two top ranked teams in the country uh, squaring off at home against uh, teams in their conference. We're going to get to all of that. But Leif, I want to start with the Gamecocks of South Carolina, a team that ended up sneaking into our top 25 on Lockdown College Basketball's rankings. They did not sneak into the AP top 25. Uh, but then they went ahead and did exactly what you need to do if you want to get legitimate top 25 conversation, which was beat Tennessee. Went out and took it to the Vols, uh, a team that Isaac and I spoke about on Tuesday's show as the four-loss team that we felt the most confident about going forward. So, of course, that has already aged like milk. Uh, really, really nice performance from South Carolina. I felt like they kind of led more or less the entire game. Uh, I was always close, but they really kind of kept Tennessee away from, from getting back into it, despite Dalton Connect's Herculean effort to get this team back in the game. He had 31 of their 59 points, and I think that points to a lot of the, the issues that we have seen with Tennessee and that we feel about Tennessee is that they have a phenomenal offensive player in Dalton Connect, but are Santiago Vescovi and Josiah Jordan-James and uh, those other guys, Zekai Ziegler, are they going to step up? And in this game, Vescovi had 10. Nobody else had more than six outside of Connect and Vescovi. And I think that's the big concern for Tennessee, but I really want to focus on the South Carolina side of things because this is now a team that is 18 and 18-3, they have wins over Kentucky and Tennessee, the two presumed best teams in the SEC alongside Auburn and that kind of conversation at the top. Their only losses are at Clemson in the non-conference when Clemson was on an absolute heater. They lost at Alabama. They do have a, a quad three loss to Georgia, but that's it. That's it. Now, their wins their, their wins are not great. I think that's kind of the issue we're having with South Carolina right now. They, they got a win over Grand Canyon, which has aged well. The Lopes are really good, but not a ton of quality wins. But this South Carolina team, especially in the last week, has really put themselves on the map and proven that they deserve to be taken very seriously as a, a legitimate player in the SEC. I think South Carolina is – getting a weird reputation just because of how bad they were last year yeah. that they must not be good this year. Uh, last year they had a five-star recruit in Gigi Jackson, and mm -hmm. that was their only player. Like ev everyone else at, at the SEC level was not up to snuff athletically, was not as tough as the SEC player. And this year Lamont Paris went into the transfer portal and just took the SOCON all-stars, so to mm -hmm. speak. Like, he went to the SoCon. He he got players that he was familiar with, having coached at Chattanooga before, and he's got an older, tougher team. And they play at the slowest pace of anyone in the SEC and almost of anyone in basketball, three hundred forty ninth in terms of their adjusted tempo. So what they do is they slow the game down to a crawl. So for instance, against Kentucky, who races up and down the court and loves to shoot threes, drive and kick, and use their tempo to create their offense, 
well, they can't do that anymore. So it's a difficult matchup. And I'm not saying South Carolina is better than Kentucky. They're not, mm -hmm. but they can do that on any given match at Kentucky. I mean, excuse me, Tennessee against South Carolina is interesting because they're not reliant on pace, but mm -hmm. what they are reliant on is, is slowing you down defensively. Well, this team is, is comfortable playing at that crawling pace. Mm -hmm. And now Tennessee can't turn that in against them and score on easy baskets or wear this team down as easily because they're mature and they're expected to play at that slow pace, a lower score. And Dalton Connect, like you said, was excellent, but it becomes problematic when, when you're scoring more than half your team's points. And what he's ended up doing, scoring so many, so many games in a row, I think it has built up a reliance for Tennessee. And there needs to be a little bit more of an egalitarian approach for who's second, third, and fourth on the totem pole. Because right now it's just connects one, and who cares about the rest? And I think there needs to be a, a little bit of a, okay, like if, if he's going to score 30, we got to score 30 combined between our next three or four best players. Yeah. And so I think South Carolina's defense is the story. Lamont Paris, to me, is probably the front runner for coach of the year in the SEC. Mm -hmm. And he could be the front runner nationally if the Gamecocks make the tournament. Yeah, I mean, this, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that, that a lot of the, the, hesitation to to rank South Carolina to really respect South Carolina nationally stems from them not being as good last year and I wonder when or if there will be a shift eventually and it's not just AP voters it's it's anybody who's kind of in that national media conversation uh, to to maybe be more willing to to be flexible with teams because rosters are changing more you know teams don't have to take two to three years to rebuild, you know, and, and you know, everybody was immediately ready to, to take St. John seriously because they overhauled their entire roster. That's a little bit different, even with Ole Miss kind of a, a similar situation with new coach coming in and, and kind of ex the expectation that, oh, they're going to turn it around. But people weren't really willing to give South Carolina that benefit for a, a long time. And I mean, and it, it's clear at this point now, I mean, they had to beat two really, really good teams to really start to get that attention. And, and I do think, you know, we're at a team that even looking at their net and Ken Palm rankings, I mean, I know net is a computer system. They're not biased in that way, but I'm fascinated looking at, at where, I mean, they're four and two in quad one games. They're three and oh in quad two games. They have that quad three loss, which is obviously hurting them against Georgia, but you know, SMU is ahead of them. They're oh and four in quad one. They also have a quad three loss. St. Mary's is ahead of them. They're three and one in quad one, which is great, but they have two quad three losses. Like it feels like South Carolina's resume is just not really getting the attention or the love that it deserves. And obviously uh, these two wins are, are really going to help them. I, I don't, I don't truly expect South Carolina to compete to, to win the SEC. I think they still got another game against Tennessee. They got Auburn on the schedule. They got Mississippi twice. They got Mississippi state, Florida, like they have a decently tough schedule going forward. It's, you know, the SEC is pretty deep this year, but South Carolina has put themselves in a position to absolutely at least be an at-large consideration unquestionably and should get more consideration for the top 25 next week. I suspect that they will, but it took a long time for them to get that love. Yeah, I mean, myself included, I, I was like, okay, they beat Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's basically it. They beat Tennessee. They're 18-3. and three. In the latest racketology that I've seen in two different sources, they're a seven seed. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of seven seeds are, are ranked in the teens at this point in the year just yeah. because their resumes aren't as good, but their records are great. And that's what people look at. So it's interesting to see the dichotomy there. And I mean, the SEC probably gets six or seven teams in. I think mm -hmm. they finish in the top six of the SEC, probably mm -hmm. the top five. And I, I think they're safely in mm -hmm. uh, as of right now. And barring a collapse where they lose to teams they should not lose to, mm -hmm. they, they should make it in. And they're a difficult out just because, like I mentioned, their play style is is something that many teams aren't accustomed to battling. 
Yeah. Want to move on to the other big upset that we saw on Tuesday evening. Georgia Tech gets that win over North Carolina. A lot of talk about the Tar Heels potentially looking ahead. They have that huge matchup against Duke on Saturday. Of course, North Carolina came into this game undefeated in the ACC. They were the last remaining Power Six team to have not lost in conference play. And shout out to Damon Stoudemire's team. They had been really struggling coming into this game, but they had some big wins earlier in the year. They had a win over Duke already this season. So we knew that they were capable of playing up and pulling off a win here. And and they were they managed to do it. And, and it was a really nice performance from Georgia Tech. Nathan George hits that game winner with seven seconds left to give them a one-point victory. First top three win over a first win over a top three team for Georgia Tech since 2004. And I, what I want to talk about really is the what this means for, for Carolina, because the ACC is just not that deep. They're not that good. Georgia Tech, obviously, not, um, not among the better teams, even in a fairly weak conference. But for Carolina, I mean, they had been surviving up to this point by not losing these kind of games. Almost every other top 10, top 15 team has lost this kind of game. They basically all have. It's what's been a, a tremendous season because of that uh, type of type of loss that we've been seeing. And it feels like a lot of times the most recent team to lose that game gets punished the hardest. And for Carolina also uh, doing it against a team that's not very good and doing it ahead of this game against Duke, they may lose to Duke whether they do or not. I, I'm curious if you think this is a, a, a concern for Carolina or more of just like, hey, it's the same kind of blip that most of these other top 10-ish teams have had. Yeah, I've got no concerns about it. I think Georgia Tech plays a style of basketball that puts them in a competitive nature if they're shooting well. Mm -hmm. uh, they beat Duke on a similar situation where they shot well and, and put pressure on Duke to make shots, and Duke didn't execute great. Uh, North Carolina, to me, this is a trap game because they mm -hmm. were focusing on North uh, on Duke. They're hosting mm -hmm. them this weekend in Chapel Hill, and both yeah. teams are ranked in the top 10. It's a big matchup no matter where they're ranked. But this is the first time since the Final Four where both these teams have had the aspirations that both do right now. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, lowly Georgia Tech is on your schedule. You don't look at it. I think it's a quote a, a classic quote-unquote trap game. Mm -hmm. I also think that uh, North Carolina was bound to lose one or two of these games where mm -hmm. they've won close games on the road a bunch of times. And that was a testament to their ability and their, and their toughness and their defense. But on a day where they didn't play particularly well and they'd won a lot of close games in a row, I think it was bound to happen. I actually think that frees them. I, I think this is probably in the long term better. Mm -hmm. And one of my best friends is a Duke fan. He was pissed that they lost because he was like, well, now, now they're regrouped. Like if they'd coasted in and barely won again, I, I'd feel better. Or he mm -hmm. would said he'd feel better about Duke's chances. And so I think this allows Carolina to regroup. Whatever happens against Duke, I think mm -hmm. they're going to regroup and continue playing very well. I think they're one of the premier threats to win it all at this point. Well, I want to switch gears and talk about Villanova. They fought valiantly to come back against Marquette in Big East play, but they have they dropped the game. They're ultimately now four and six in the conference. And we're going to start to have conversations about Kyle Neptune and, and how hot his, his seat might be. We're going to get to that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl to all of those who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And if you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. Right now, the 49ers one-and-a-half-point favorites. That will, of course, change. But if that feels like a good line to you, definitely head to FanDuel.com. They have so many different ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three, not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many total points will be scored, and so much more. So new customers join today and you'll get $200 
in bonus bets. If your first bet of $5 or more is a win, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, Leaf. Moving over to the Big East, we're also going to talk some Big 12 basketball as well, but wanted to start with Marquette's win over Villanova. 85-80 was the final score, certainly a close game. Uh, it was a three-point game with like 33 seconds left to go before Tyler Kolek finished it off at the free throw line. It certainly did not look like it was going to be a close game. Marquette was up to a 37-17 to lead at one point early in the game. They were out to a 15-2 to start. Villanova did manage to close the half on a 14-2 run, which helped make it an eight-point game, managed to close the gap even more in the second half. Uh, the big story in terms of performance in this game was Tyler Kolek, 32 points, nine assists, six rebounds, and three steals for him. Really nice performance from a guy who has kind of been up and down in conference play for Shaka Smart's team. But I want to talk about Villanova because, Leaf, they're 11-10 and 10 overall. They're 4-6 and six in the Big East, and they have lost five in a row. They've lost six of their last seven. The only win in their last seven games was DePaul. That is not a good stretch of basketball for Kyle Neptune's team. And considering last year, you know, a lot of people gave him a pass last year, understandably so. He had injuries to Justin Moore, early season injury to Cam Whitmore. Uh, I think it was tough for them to kind of get the feel with Whitmore after he came back, such a young player as a freshman. And so you kind of, kind of gave him a pass. First year taken over for a Hall of Famer in Jay Wright. And then this year, he brought in some talented players, Hakeem Hardy, brought in TJ Bamba, a handful of other uh, good players, got Justin Moore back for that, uh, from that injury. And yet the performance has still been pretty underwhelming. And I think at this point, Villanova is not a school that is going to be particularly patient. And in fact, early in the game, we heard some boos from the Villanova home crowd, booing Coach Neptune. That's not something that happens all that often. And you can argue whether it's too early to be booing him at games. I think that's a fair argument, but... I don't know how long Villanova is going to put up with being mediocre in the Big East, and it's certainly looking like it's going to be another season where this team fails to meet those expectations. Yeah, I, I think we talked about this at the beginning of the year where he was kind of, you have to prove it this year because you have that talented roster. Like this is a roster that Jay Wright would make a final mm -hmm. four with. Mm -hmm. And that was the way I prefaced it when I said I was high on them because their roster fits beautifully in my mind to the way Villanova's often played basketball. You've got Eric Dixon and Justin Moore as returning stalwarts. You have players that fit the mold in Tyler Burton and TJ Bomba, who both shoot, spread the floor, defend. Lance Ware comes in from Kentucky, gets paid a lot of money. Mark mm -hmm. Armstrong's supposed to develop internally. Hazen can shoot the lights out. And now why are you four and six in the Big East? Why are you losing every game you played within the city of Philadelphia? <laughs> and and you, win, you win a tournament. And that's the saving grace right now. They won an MTE. But, but even then... Even then, there was some confounding factors. So right now, if the season ended, I don't think they make the tournament. Like, if the bracketologists were honest and it wasn't like Villanova brand, but you were to look at their wins, their wins are all right, but their losses are confounding, and they're only 11 and 10, and they're 4 and 6 in the Big East. So I would not put them in. I would, I, I, I tend to lean to patience, but honestly, in this case, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Villanova sends him elsewhere. And I wouldn't be annoyed at that as just a, a neutral observer of basketball because – Villanova is a proud, proud brand. Before mm -hmm. Jay Wright, there was Raleigh Massimino. They'd won mm -hmm. championships. They win championships with Jay Wright. Now they have more money to deal with it. They've brought mm -hmm. players in, and you're not going to make the tournament. I, I think there is an unfair nature to expectation. 
that was there the first year, but this mm-hmm. year there was a lot of players. He built the roster himself, and and you you have to win. Like yeah. it's it's that simple. And so I think he's likely on the way out unless they figure something out late in the season. Yeah, I I, I feel I feel you. I, I think like it feels early. It feels early to be already considering this, but we're not talking about like, oh, they failed to meet expectations in the sense that they only made it to the round of 32. They only got an eight seed or whatever. Like we're talking about a team that might not make the NCAA tournament for two years in a row at Villanova. That just doesn't happen. And like, again, I think some of these factors are outside of his control, particularly in year one, but this year, there's not as much of an excuse. And and you're right outside of the, the MTE win, which was great. Villanova's never, ever lost in the battle for Atlantis. They were 9-0 and in three different times on that trip. That was a huge kind of turning point for them, or so we thought. And it just never really materialized in that way. And and I I think that they're, they're at a spot already where if they have this kind of money to throw around and, and land high-level recruits and and they're not doing enough with them, it, it could end up being a, a really short tenure for, for Coach Neptune if they look look elsewhere. But Leaf, I do want to move on and talk a little bit about the Big 12. We had a handful of results uh, that came through over uh, on Tuesday evening. I will start with TCU at home against Texas Tech. They're both ranked uh, in our rankings, 21st for TCU, 16 for Texas Tech, but TCU does survive, gets the victory. This was a really good shooting game. TCU was 55% from three. Texas Tech was 50% from three. Only the second conference loss for the Red Raiders. They've been hanging on uh, in first place in the Big 12, but they take a loss here against TCU. Uh, meanwhile, Oklahoma crushes Kansas State. The Sooners fell out of our top 25 rankings after a, a couple of, of rough games. They're now 4-4 four and four in the Big 12. A really, really rough night for Kansas State. Only managed 53 points against Porter Moser's defense. And then Kansas destroys Oklahoma State. I was watching this game and it was after after North Carolina, after Tennessee, and there was this like, oh, is Kansas going to, you know, kind of fall victim to the pressure of these top five teams losing? No, they did not at all. They absolutely obliterated Oklahoma State. Granted, the Cowboys are not in a good spot right now. Even without Kevin McCullough playing for the Jayhawks, uh, they still managed to win. Marco Jackson, who we have been quite critical of on this podcast, he had a nice game, 10 points, two boards for him. He had a pair of threes. Nick Timberlake as well, seven points and six rebounds uh, coming off the bench. Jackson started in place of McCullough. Uh, nice win for, for Kansas, probably says a, a fair amount about where Oklahoma State is at right now. Uh, Leaf, any of those games in particular, anything uh, kind of st- stood out to you with those results uh, on Tuesday night? Uh, I'll start with the ranked matchup between TCU and Texas Tech. So I, I bet on that ma- that matchup. I liked TCU at home to cover three points, and that's not much of an indictment on Texas Tech being a fraud or anything mm-hmm. like that. But it's just a team. I don't think there's much between those two teams. I think yeah. whoever was at home was going to win that game. But I also think that when you look at those records and everyone said, oh, if Texas Tech wins that game, they win the Big 12. Mm-hmm. And that could be the case just because there's so few road wins. Like Kansas has lost three times, which is their worst record in Bill Self's tenure in yeah. Big 12 play up to this point or, or when it was when they were four and three. So now that they're five and three, it's it's equaled a few other years. Mm-hmm. But it's because they haven't won on the road. It, and Houston lost two games early on the road mm-hmm. to TCU and Iowa State. But my overarching take, and I, I tweeted about this yesterday, so this, this is a hot take, and I got some people annoyed about this, but the, the Big 12 is the best basketball conference, I, I, and that's not the hot take. The hot take is they're the best basketball conference, but they're not that good this year. <laughs> like the, the, best, the best two teams are, are Houston and Kansas, and I think mm-hmm. they're both good but not great. Yeah. Uh, and, then you, and then in my opinion, the next team is Iowa State, and I think mm-hmm. they're a little bit ahead of the next cor- uh, quartet of teams I have here, and that would be TCU, 
Texas, in no particular order for these three mm-hmm. or four, TCU, mm-hmm. Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and BYU. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's a slight drop off, and you have Cincinnati, Texas, Kansas State, and and that's probably it right there. And then I think the rest and those and those teams probably one of those next two gets in. Mm-hmm. And so that's still a great depth of the league. That's nine teams that probably get in. Ten would be ba- Baylor. Probably got to be in there oh, yeah. somewhere. Sorry, sorry, no I missed Baylor. I was yeah. reading my list. I was reading my list that I had written, and the Baylor was the top alphabetically, and they weren't showing. So <laughs> Baylor, Baylor is right there with Iowa State. Yeah, uh, I think. I, yeah, I think I think Baylor is slightly worse than Iowa State, and yeah. they're they're a little bit better than the next trio of teams, including mm-hmm. Texas Tech and TCU. So I would put them probably in that the bottom. So make that a group of five mm-hmm. with BYU and Baylor. Anyway, point being is I think Baylor has been masquerading as a three seed when they're a seven yeah, or a six or a seven. I think the same could be said for BYU with their metrics. But look at their non-conference strength of schedules. Kansas leads with 63 just because they played Maui. Baylor at 124. Kansas State 181. Houston 220. Texas Tech 257. Cincy 298. Texas 302, BYU 313, Oklahoma 314, Iowa State 342, and TCU 345. So those are the 10 teams we talked about. And the best one, there's only one with like a respectable number next to their name, and that's Kansas, and they're mm-hmm. locked to get in. So I think that the depth is there. This It's really hard to win in this league, mm-hmm. but the quality of the depth isn't as good as people think. And there's a lot of teams that are five through eight seeds, mm-hmm. four through eight seeds, Rather than the last couple of years where it's been three, th- three through five seeds as the sixth, uh, sixth and eighth best teams in the conference. Do you think I, I, I think that's a, a well-researched and totally understandable take. It seems like the, the conference has a lot of equally uh, matched teams, which makes a lot of close games, which can feel like the the, the play is, is elevated. But in reality, maybe they aren't as good when you compare them to some of the other conferences. I do still think it is the best conference because of that depth. But do you think when we're when we're in the NCAA tournament and we got a bunch of teams in here all in that six, five, six, seven range, if that's where they end up? How many of these teams do you think realistically are, are in the Sweet 16, are in the Elite Eight? Like, are you looking at a, a situation where the Big 12 is not particularly well represented by the third week in March? Or or, or, or do you think that they'll some cream will rise to the crop? I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I was debating whether I wanted to, to answer, uh, put this out there. I texted a buddy of mine last night. I'm not so sure the Big 12 will have an Elite Eight representative. And if yeah. they do, it'll be one of Kansas or Houston. Yep. And uh, I think only one of them. I've been openly critical of Kansas, though mm-hmm. I want to say this. Kansas has made themselves have a chance now because Bill Self, I thought, could scheme them into wins, but they just wouldn't be able to score enough. Mm-hmm. If Johnny Furphy plays, who is, which I've been saying he should for a long time yeah. because he can shoot, they open up the court because you can't mm-hmm. just stunt closeouts at every player on the court. Like mm-hmm. they, like even McCuller is not a shooter. Mm-hmm. And so you could stunt closeouts. You make life hard for Dickinson and you can't get your high low passes as easily in between to Adams and, and Dickinson mm-hmm. and you can't get open looks. So now that you have another shooter, it, it opens up life. That said, they don't get bench production. So one of Nick Timberlake or El Marco Jackson have to figure it out. And that's the team I'm, I lean most likely to making the lead eight or a final mm-hmm. four. I don't think they make a final four still, but that opens up possibility. Houston struggles too much to score the basketball. Yeah, um, It's too hard for them to score. They are going to be number one in Ken Palm all year because their defense is suffocating. Mm-hmm. So don't fall, don't fall victim to the analytics. And if I'm wrong, I'll own this one on the chest, but my eyes tell me they can't make the final four. And yeah. the elite eight's possible, but I don't love it. And then Iowa State's the next best team to me. Iowa State's a whole different team when they're at home when they're not. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's your top three. 
Baylor's a fraud. They're a seven seed, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. BYU's a masquerading as a two seed in some of these things. And then yeah. they're a five in bracketology. Explain that to me. <laughs> and then and then you look at teams like uh, TCU and Texas Tech, who have visible warts in very different places. And I don't see them winning four straight games either. So uh, to me, to me, this is a team that's going to a conference that's going to be very well represented in terms of numbers, but they're not going to be well represented in terms of how far they go in the tournament, much like the Big Ten has been many times the last couple of years. Well, looking forward to revisiting some of these conversations as we get closer to the tournament and, of course, into the NCAA tournament, because I can absolutely see a lot of what you're saying being what comes to fruition when we get there. But I do want to move on. And we have an incredible encore after Tuesday's fantastic uh, slate of games on Wednesday. All we get is the number one and number two ranked teams in the country playing. We're going to talk about those games and a handful of other games coming up after a word from today's sponsor, Jace Medical. I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of real life, but can we talk for a minute about preparing for those real life events? Because according to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. And I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than if someone I love was getting sick while a supply chain issue kept them from the life-saving medication they needed. Thankfully, though, there's Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including respiratory infections, skin infections, and others. This stuff could happen to any one of us. So visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It has never been more important than to be prepared than today. So go to jacemedical.com, use offer code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order. All right, Leaf, closing out the show today, looking ahead to Wednesday's slate of games. We'll start with the top two teams who are both in action at home. Purdue hosts Northwestern, who, of course, clipped them way back in December. That game is at 6.30 Eastern time, and it'll be on the Big Ten Network. Providence is heading to Storrs, Connecticut, to take on the Yukon Huskies. That's at 8.30 Eastern time on FS1. Leaf, do either of these two matchups kind of stand out to you as potential upset watch or how are you feeling about these two heading into Wednesday's games? Well, I think Purdue's going to exact revenge. Yeah. I don't think that Northwestern will get them twice. I do think Northwestern plays a style of basketball that can that can make it hard for Purdue in the sense that they shoot the ball well. They have a really good pick and roll guard, which makes Edie really have to defend more than mm -hmm. he does in some games on the ball. And they have guys who space around him. So Boo Booey has the capacity to pull that upset, but they're not going to do it in Mackey. Uh, right. As for UConn, I think UConn's just the steadiest team. They're the most upset. They're most able to avoid upsets because they can win in the most different fashions. Yeah. They can win with pick and roll with Donovan Klingon when he plays. They can protect the rim when he plays. But then when he doesn't, they hedge ball screens with Samson Johnson. Mm -hmm. They switch defensively. They can run with the athletes that they have, and they can pressure you. Or they can shoot the lights out and run intricate sets with the end of the clock, shot clock, mm -hmm. Alex Caravan popping open for threes, along with uh cam spencer and so mm -hmm. i just think that uconn finds a way to win i think they're locked in and they have this winning culture and also providence just doesn't have the horses right now yeah. with with no um hawkins hawkins mm -hmm. and he he's out and devin carter's having to put, put on like herculean performances yeah. every time that they want to win they were able to get by georgetown in the most emotional game in the big east this year in yeah. which ed cooley returns and it was just because he was excellent like you yeah. georgetown's not good and mm -hmm. you're fired up to the gills about mm -hmm. this and you need a monster performance from your best player mm -hmm. i just don't think they can get they can get enough horses to score um i think uconn coasts pretty comfortably yeah 
I agree with both those those results. I, I love Devin Carter. Love the way he's playing right now, but they're just too reliant on him. And it's unfortunate with the Hopkins injury that that's what they've needed to do. Was hoping to see Garway Duel step up in a way that that he just has not yet for for Coach Kim English's team. But I think the top two teams roll, and we do got three other ranked teams who are at home. We also got two on the road. We'll talk about those. But the home teams for Wednesday night: Kentucky hosts Florida, eight Eastern time on ESPN. Auburn hosts Vanderbilt, uh, that is at 9 Eastern on ESPN2, and then New Mexico hosts Boise State at the Pit, 10.30 Eastern time on FS1. Leaf, which of those three games are you most excited about, or do you see any opportunity for a potential upset brewing uh, for any of those three teams? Well, I think Kentucky is the one I'm most intrigued by, Mm -hmm. in the sense that Kentucky hasn't played well of late they come back home they play a solid florida team florida's got to win a few more games to make themselves an at-large type of team even though they have the at-large talent for sure um they beat florida at florida in a close game that they maybe didn't deserve to win they just came out better at the very end um so it'll be an interesting matchup i think kentucky is going to get like a 10 point win um Mm -hmm. because they're going to need a result uh they got to prove their legitimacy and i think this is a game where you see rob dillingham get into the paint and create for others. And at, at Rupp Arena, you're going to see some of this sorted out, who's going to play what lineup, especially with the emergence of Big Z coming back mm-hmm. in. Like, because they knew who was going to play in the front court, and now they don't. I think that helps uh, Kentucky down the road that they have to figure this out, and then they're going to get hot at the right time. I, I buy Kentucky's upside. Their defense obviously isn't great, but mm-hmm. at Rupp, they're going to score enough. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And I, I'm not super concerned about Auburn with Vanderbilt coming to town. I know Auburn has struggled lately, but Vanderbilt is just not good. Uh, the Tigers have an opportunity for a get right game there. And New Mexico is a final four caliber team. If they play all their games at the pit, they are absolutely phenomenal at home. Uh, I think they're going to end up taking down Boise State, even though Leon Rice's team has been uh, really good so far, especially in conference play. Uh, looking at the two ranked teams that are going on the road, another one in the SEC, Alabama, 23rd in our rankings. They head to Georgia. Baylor heads to Central Florida. Uh, obviously, we talked a little bit about the Big 12 earlier and, and some concerns about Baylor. Uh, Central Florida is not a better team than Baylor, but they have certainly secured some very nice home victories this year. Do you see a potential upset for that game or potentially with Georgia uh, on the docket? I think I think Baylor's going to win that game, but I think it's going to be very close. I looked mm-hmm. at the betting lines this morning, and it was a two and a half point uh, favorite. Mm-hmm. So it was a, that's not that's not much for where they are considered in terms of bracketology yeah. and where they're ranked. Uh, Baylor's not going to lose two in a row. Um, I actually picked TCU to beat Baylor at Baylor, um, mm-hmm. and I got pretty lucky in that one. Yeah. But <laughs> but uh, I think Baylor's going to be pissed off, and they're going to win. Mm-hmm. but I just don't love their backcourt. I'm typically a guards, guards, guards guy. Ever mm-hmm. since we've been talking, I've, I've told you I like guards. Mm-hmm. Well, this team's guards are good. They're their strength in theory, but they don't play well together. Yeah. And uh, I think they're going to end up figuring out how to win this game, but it's going to be, it's going to undo them at the end. Um, as for Georgia, I am a little concerned about that game if I were an Alabama fan, mm-hmm. but I, but I just don't have that much trust in Georgia. Yeah. Georgia's playing pretty good basketball and they have Silas Demery Jr. is really emerging, but uh, Alabama's got a lot of horses to score. And I think Georgia's the type of team that can, wants to score against you. And I don't think you're going to win a shootout. Uh, I don't know if they contain Alabama's horses, but that one I'd be, I think is more likely for upset, even though it's a, even though it's a six point spread, I think. 
A couple more games to mention real quick before we get out of here today. St. Mary's, or excuse me, uh, St. John's at Xavier. That's at 6.30 Eastern time on FS1. Fun Big East battle between two teams kind of in the middle of the road in that conference. And then Santa Clara at St. Mary's in the WCC, 11 Eastern time on ESPNU. Gonzaga avoided a, a trap game play in LMU on Tuesday night ahead of their game against St. Mary's. We'll see if St. Mary's can avoid a similar trap game when they host Santa Clara on Wednesday night. Leaf, that's going to wrap it up for us today. Thank you so much, as always, for coming on to the show, and thanks to all of you for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. A shout-out to those everyday listeners, and a shout-out to those of you who have joined us on our Discord channel. We are also very close to 2,000 subscribers on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, get notified when all of our future shows come out, help us get to 2,000 subscribers. It would be very much appreciated. We will be back on Thursday, or I should say Isaac will be back on Thursday with a recap of all this fantastic action on Wednesday night, and we'll close out the the week on Friday, getting you ready for what is an extraordinary slate of games on Saturday and Sunday. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, as always, Peace out.